Thank you for tuning in to Verbal Assault live stream on this Thursday. I'm your host, Marquis Devereaux. We are a political podcast. We talk about politics from left, right, and center, hitting from left, right, and center. No nonsense, no filter, no kidding. On this fourth day of the week here, we are going to be discussing what does privilege look like and why is everyone so angry? I have my guests with me this week. I have Hector, who is um, who is hosting us in his space this on this Thursday day. Hector, tell me your thoughts. He- Mr. Hector Mendez. Yes, it's Sunday. But um <laughs> it, is, it is Sunday. It is Sunday, but it is Thursday to our listeners. Don't call us out. Don't call us out. Well, uh, hello, everybody. Um, I'm just here just to uh, add my opinion and an input. Okay. And what did you say yesterday? You said, I don't take no mess. I keep it real. I call out BS. You know, I went to make a dentist appointment and the lady said to me, oh, I know you. You're the type of person who don't take any shit. And I said, well, I try not to because, you know, I'm not, I'm straight up, straight up shooter. I don't take any um, necessary bullshit. Okay. Well, that's, that's a New Yorker. From what I understand, you're originally from uh, Brooklyn. Uh, Raised in Brooklyn, born in Puerto Rico. Ooh, okay. Well, you got the Brooklyn here today, and, and nobody's complaining about the Puerto Rican. Anyway, I move over to our next regular contributor. He is an author, historian, and documentarian. He is someone who we coined the phrase Kirkopedia. He is a trove of information, and he always gives me a hard time because when he goes on his informa- informational um yeah, I, I I don't want to call it a diatribe, but when he goes in, when he goes down his lane with the facts, sometimes I gotta be like, okay, brother Kirk, come on back, come on back, because you you might you might lose them because you're giving us too much intelligence, and some people just want to be kept in the dark. Kirk, what's your thought on on that? Nothing like Helen Keller, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Okay, that was good. That was good. But if you guys don't want a reality check, you do not want to be on this show because we talk about some sensitive subjects, whether it's sex, it's religion, um, politics is just the tip of the iceberg. Then I turn to our wonderful, uh, knowledgeable, powerful Miss Joni Martinez. She is a sister of Haitian, Mm. Puerto Rican descent. From what I understand, you are a producer here from Brooklyn. And you are the host of three podcasts. That I am. Okay, um, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you talk about the podcast real quick. What about them? Okay, so you, of course, <laughs> of course, we have verbal assault right here. Okay, verbal right verbal assault. You are the new production manager for this podcast. Of course. And you commented that yesterday's show was just a powerhouse. What what moved you about the show? I mean, the fact that we could just dig in. There was. It was just one word, Prince Andrew, and then from there it just spawned into Epstein, and then there was like talk of my. It, it just was like a rabbit hole. If you haven't heard the episode, you need to hear it. You guys you need back. to listen to yesterday's episode. Matter of fact, just pause this, go back to the episode, <laughs> and then just come back here. And if you're just joining us, we're happy to have you. We're coming from Brooklyn, New York today, down the street from Barclays Center and uh, Atlantic Terminal. We are talking today about what does privilege look like and why is everyone so angry? 
So I want to start this episode with this. I was watching YouTube recently, and Chelsea Handler, who is a well-known comedian, um, she's had a late-night talk show for a while, mm -hmm. has been working on this documentary, and the documentary is about her wanting to discuss and, 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 and engage in privilege. As a Caucasian woman, she says she thought she had it all together. Suddenly she realized that there were things that she could stand to learn. She mm -hmm. wanted to open her eyes up. Kirk Adair, you're a documentarian. Is privilege something that you would skim over in your line of work? No, no, no. It's, um, it's vital. It's useful. Uh, it needs to be observed. It needs to be learned from. Um, and it's interesting how it's taken for granted by um, various groups. Uh, and I think if you're talking about anger, it's the groups uh, that are angry as it's finally been brought to their attention um, that they need to be uh, more mindful in their narratives. I, I, I appreciate your feedback and when you say various groups and one of the things I know about you is you're very very good at calling out groups by name and you always seem to understand how the how the networks of money and power seem to operate and hence you being a historian that is certainly valuable um, you know as a person of color myself uh, one of the things that we of African descent have been pressing forward is that black lives matter and of course that those of you who are involved in law enforcement will say, well, blue lives matter. And so in essence, we um, of African descent, we say black people are sort of being shortchanged in the United States because we don't have the privilege of being Caucasian. Law enforcement seems to feel that, hey, you know what? Um, we're working in cities like Newark and Chicago and um, Oakland and our, we're putting our lives in danger to protect people. Oh. I, I, I wanna use a situation that happened to me last night, mm -hmm. and I just wanna talk about how the, the uh, sort of, uh, how privilege can play a role and how sometimes it can be, um, you know, it can be a disadvantage. So yesterday I had a situation where I was preparing for today's show, and I had to, um, take a nap. I had to take a nap. I was working on my vision board. I was working on planning for today. And at a certain point, there was someone, um, I understand that they might have been uh, a transvestite or whatever. They were of the GBLTQ community. Mm -hmm. And they were singing off key and so loudly and so badly that I just said, oh my God, I I'd never heard of a worse sound. So what I did is I knocked on the door. And when I knocked on the door, they decided not to answer the door. Ironically enough, they were singing... Um, Christian black spiritual songs. It was Jesus, dot, 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 dot. All that should have been great, but listen, I, I, they would have turned me Jewish or Muslim by the sound of that singing. But what happened was is that the person didn't answer it, and as I went back to my space to go to sleep, I, I heard threats, knock on my door again, and I'll stab you with the knife. I will actually kill you. So at a certain point, I, I as, as a victim of, of crime myself, I, or should I say a survivor, I sort of brushed this off, but after about 10 or 15 minutes, I could hear the sound of the voice come closer. And uh, since I've been stabbed twice in the last um, five years, I took it seriously and I called 911. I reported the crime two different times and um, 
the officers showed up. But when they showed up, I, I was then taunted by that same voice, and they said, um, oh, calling the police, wasting the taxpayers' money. So I don't know what was said, but as a person who was about to witness some form of sort of domestic violence here, because this happened in an area where I live, the officers then suddenly called me back. No caller ID came in on my cell phone, and I said, you shouldn't be calling me back. You should be going to this uh, apartment here because that's where the threat came from. They wanted to know where I was. And at that point, I didn't trust what was happening. And I felt that my safety was being compromised. And so I hung up the phone immediately and I turned the ringer off. So in that situation, um, as a person of color and as a person with an alternative lifestyle, I didn't feel safe. And I felt that the other person who, whatever they said to the police, whether they identify as a woman or not, I felt that because we were two people of color, the police sort of brushed that under a rug. Now, if I were a white Caucasian woman, I don't know if that would have been the case. So I must ask you, uh, you know, Hector, yes. what does privilege look like to you? Well, all I have to do is walk out my door and see privilege all around me with this new gentrification going on in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and all these beautiful high rises and these wonderful lobbies. There is no way that um, there is no way that um, a person of color uh, of my like myself can ever afford to move there or can ever afford to live in one of those apartments. Those apartments are meant for um, and no disrespect um, <coughs> for white people who have money. Okay, and so you mentioned white. You mentioned money, right? And and this neighborhood is mostly about minorities, and but. White people have come in and taken over, and um, we've lost a lot. Okay, so you said the word minorities, and so one of the things that when I hear minority, I think of less than, uh, minor being less than major. So I, I'm, I want to get to that for a second. And, um, Kirk, you being an elder, uh, in your opinion, there are those that would sort of look at you and say, you are the result of privilege. What does privilege look like to you? Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, they could say that. Basically, everything that I've ever done, I've earned, although some of the people that I went to school with did not earn that. They came from money. Uh, you, can see it, uh, you can see it every single day on the subway when... Um, People get on and they have um, an assumed method of behavior that, and it, it's interesting because it goes across the board. Uh, there are those that get on the subway and assume that it's their right to bang you with their backpack and say nothing and continue to text. Um, there are those that are um, get on and, you know, are very polite and make sure, you know, that... It, that their privilege means that uh, privilege that I've noticed in New York is uh, those who consider themselves more privileged are less courteous. I think that's the best mm. the best way to put it. Is entitlement a good word to use in this I case? I would say extreme entitlement, um, and those who are uh, less privileged do in fact adhere to. Um, 
the standards that everyone should as far as politeness and, and good behavior. Uh, and you can see it in kids, um, uh, particularly um, uh, when you're on the Upper East Side in Manhattan, there is a very distinct uh, socioeconomic group that um, feels that they have no reason to be polite, no reason to moderate their voices, no reason to say excuse me, uh, because you're simply expected to get out of their way. Okay. And um, there are others who are, who are um, very polite, but the thing is that they, within that, they then become, in their politeness, they become deferential, but to those with privilege, they think it's a right. Are we? Are you following me? In I, I think I am. I think yeah. I am. I, I want. I want to bounce back here a little bit uh, because originally I'm from Massachusetts, which is um, a New England state, and being New England, the term New England comes uh, comes from those who settled from Britain and came here, and and so sort of some of our behavior, at least in New England, tends to be a bit about social protocol. I don't necessarily have to like you, but I do need to treat you with respect, even though I despise you. And, and it can come off a bit provincial or classist. One of the things that Kirk mentioned was um, the Upper East Side. And you, he mentioned behavioral entitlement. And Joni Martinez, I want to come to you because, you know, as a woman of color, what does, what does this look like to you? Privilege? No. Okay, let's let's try this differently. Let's try this differently. Um, what does privilege look like? But I want to so yes to that question. But I want to add a couple of things. Um, neither one of the men have mentioned male. Uh, I've heard white mentioned one time from the person who's not of color, and yet three different times I've heard wealth referred to. Now the opposite of white, one would assume is black, and the opposite of male, one would assume is woman, and the opposite of wealth is poor. And so in this case, if we write white male with wealth, the opposite of that would be black woman who is poor. Mm -hmm. Now, as, a, as an Afrocentric woman, okay, regardless of what your economic status is, I would like to know what does entitlement look like to you? Entitlement looks to me, well, um, let's go, I could just go like on a personal level. So, you know, um, let's just pick something out. Like acrylic nails, acryl long acrylic nails. Back in, back in our day, when I was growing up, it was seen as, quote-unquote, ghetto, uncouth, dirty, nasty, trashy. Now, trendy nail art by this, um, by this successful Eastern European or Asian nail art tech, you know, trendy nail art. My hair was, back then, was seen as unkept, unclean, dirty, like, the same way, the same way locks or what they call dreadlocks might be considered or braids or something. Right, cornrows, braids, dreads. Now okay. it's just trendy new hairstyle. Well, I'm, I'm going to disagree but with no, you I mean, to a degree because of the fact that um, yes, we have more women of color that are wearing these styles, and we have the Kardashians who have sort of co-opted this. Yes, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, on the View, Meghan McCain was wearing um, was wearing uh, what you all call French braids, what we call Haitian braids. Um, on a, a couple of times, she's worn that style on the panel, right. and she considers herself a conservative. 
Right. So these these styles get sort of co-opted, but you as a woman have mentioned appearances. Right. Okay. So privilege refers to what for you, what you have the liberty to be and how you have the liberty to present yourself. Right. Like the very thing that exemplifies who I am. You know, I it was denigrated when it's referred to me, but on somebody else of another ethnicity, mm. skin color, whatever, it's seen as trendy and edgy and cool. But me, totally the total opposite. Right. And I, if you I, wanted to talk about socioeconomics. Oh, and we're going to. We're going to. We're going to touch on that in a second. Exactly Let me just jump over to Hector. Exactly. That, that was exactly what I wanted to touch on was what Mr. Uh, Kirk said, that he worked hard for himself to where he's at now, where there are some of his classmates that didn't work so hard, but was allotted some privilege. But what, but, but I often hear is, that from Caucasian is, males that I but, worked hard for thing, what I have. The difference is, is that whether he worked hard or not, he's still privileged. He still can. You're still sorry. He's still in the majority, whether he worked hard for himself or not. The starting point in the race is just. A he'll little. have more opportunities. You think it's a little? It's he'll a lot. He'll have more opportunities. Yeah. Okay, one second. He'll one have second. more opportunities just by being a white man than. He, than anybody and this is and this is part he of worked hard for his or he did and this is what what's referred to back to trump because most of us of color we when trump says well my father gave me a small loan of a million dollars uh to start my business and i think well if you gave me a million dollars i can't tell you how many times i would turn that investment around and create and, and double and triple that return right. so um the next point that I want to refer to is, uh, since we've hit upon wealth three times, finance equals access. Kirk, agree or disagree? Well, finance definitely equals access. Access to what? Um, whatever you desire. Mm -hmm. Basically, whatever your, um, well, and I hate to use the word agenda, but mm -hmm. whatever your, mm -hmm. your vision board, whatever you desire, that's um, finance accesses that. It makes it, it makes it a much smoother playing field. Um, when you're if, in regard to privilege, privilege is an, is, is an uneven playing field where definitely uh, for quite some time, and that would be centuries, the um, white individuals have had a, a much easier playing field than the rest of humanity, with the exception of certain areas in Asia within their societies. Um, and it's not necessarily acknowledged. Mm -hmm. um, it's simply expected. Um, one of the key situations to lowering this, these barriers and, and is absolutely education, which is why ah. you see people like Betsy DeVos mm -hmm. um, attacking education, not that they haven't been attacking education for the last five administrations, because they want to establish barriers. They want to. Uh, I'm so glad you're saying education, because I have a point to add to that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tie in here. Uh, recently, 
I was at a gallery opening here in New York City. <clears throat> Pardon me. And interestingly enough, uh, the person that was running the gallery is uh, is Asian American. He is biracial, so we refer to that as Amerasian. And uh, those of us of African descent oftentimes will say that people of Asian descent or people who are Caucasian of European descent have better access than we do. Yeah. Interestingly enough, this guy is running an art gallery. He was homeschooled, him and his brother, and wonderful person. And what I found was that his gallery was financed by someone who decided to fund him because they liked an event that he and his brother put together. One brother's a documentarian, the other brother is running an art gallery. And then I sort of come back and say, well, how the hell are these two educating themselves? Since Kirk mentioned education, and since we haven't quite touched on that yet, we, I think we all agree that there is a challenge in funding public education. One of the things that I observed in my observation being at this gallery opening is that many of the people there were homeschooled and they were at least 10 to 15 years ahead of someone educationally that would be at their same age. I spoke to a 12-year-old that I thought she was 30. Uh, very articulated uh, speech, very distinct about her purpose, her intentions, and what she wanted to do. She was educated at home. And so do we, do we, are we all in agreement that we're sort of in a, in a, at a ground zero when it comes to funding education, public education? Well, what do you mean by ground zero? Ground zero means that the fight, uh, there, there is sort of an attack going on where people are saying, I need my child's education to be this because we know that education is a weapon. And so... When I talk about ground zero, meaning that we're sort of dropping a bomb and desecrating public education, knowing that it's going to disadvantage, uh, leave a certain population at a disadvantage. Kirk, I well, direct this beyond, question to you. You're beyond ground zero on that. The, the Reagan administration was, starting in California, was the first one to do that because with the that you had free public school, you had free high school, and you had free university. Mm. And th at that point in time, they were uh, pushing their agenda fighting communism in South Asia. And there were protests at the universities, and so Reagan, being the, the conservative fascist that he was, uh, immediately put uh, tuition on the California universities so that he could start limiting access. Was this and while he was governor or president? While he was governor. Okay. And then this caught on, and they've, um, among the conservative, particularly among the Republicans at that point in time, who were controlling Congress and controlling uh, the educational system for this country. And the thing is that they started uh, defunding education. They were defunding the arts. Um, uh, particularly because if children are given art classes, it, it makes them, all, whether they achieve anything or not in it, I mean, if they're tremendous artists, it gives them a creative thing which activates that part of the mind, mm. which allows them to learn more faster. Wow. Oh, wow, wow. That's okay. going to be hot right there. Can I can I just plug into that for a second? And then, Joni, I want to come over to you. Uh, so my experience being from Boston is that... Um, 
in Boston public schools were notorious for uh, the miseducation of the Negro per se. Mm -hmm. And so if you were not able to get into a magnet school, which is sort of like today's charters, and if you were not able to get into a Latin school, which were like today's Stuyvesant, then you sort of um, called a relative. No, no, you called a relative mm -hmm. that lived in a suburb oh, yeah. and you, uh, your parents sort of signed your custodial rights over to that relative so that you can have access to that school. So Boston, which is known for race rights and all that, sort of had what's called white flight. Uh, if the neighborhood was white and there was one Jewish family, it was fine. But if it got three or more, the whites moved out, the Jews were there. For us blacks, uh, we, we were always the first black family to move into a Jewish neighborhood. But by the time the third black family moved in, we, we would move out uh, to find to be the first black family in another neighborhood. After the blacks, uh, our whole thing was that if a Puerto Rican family moved in, we would allow one or two. By the time the third came in, they went out. That didn't change until Haitians started to move into Massachusetts, and they actually settled, ironically, into wealthy white neighborhoods, and we as African Americans were resentful of that. I mention that because here in New York, you sort of have this thing where a neighborhood which is considered black or Latino is the lowest tier. Suddenly, we're allowing uh, the gay or what, the, the gays to move in, and we sort of associate those with the creative class, and they sort of start to fix up a neighborhood and invest in it when no one else wants it. And I think that Harlem if it is a perfect example of that here in New York City. And now we're seeing it in Bedford-Stuyvesant, which is known to be a predominantly black community, and Bushwick, which was known to be Puerto Rican. Uh, once that creative class is in, then the neighborhood becomes good enough or trendy enough, and then the business class starts to move back in. So we sort of see a reversal of white flight. Where you start seeing a Starbucks in your corner, and then you know, <laughs> you know it's time to you know that the neighborhood had changed into yeah. privilege. When you start seeing baby, when you start seeing a white couple with a baby stroller jogging at two a.m., then you know things are changing. Or when you start seeing a white couple with a black baby jogging, then you know that's privilege. Oh no. <laughs> It's not a horrible but I thing. Think, yeah. But I think What's that not was, even with the educational system here in New York City is horrible because the educational system upstate in New York is a lot better for uh, Caucasian white kids to progress. Their teaching classes here for minority kids that are not really relevant in today's society. While the kids upstate New York are getting taught coding, they're getting taught all these other technological um, courses where they can excel later on in life, well, that's whereas, whereas that is privileged. That's, that but, is privileged, whereas here in New York City, one. we're just being taught how to become a secretary or phlebotomist. I mean, really, come on. I can feel that one. Okay, that go, basically, go ahead. That, like, what that has to do with, it's just a simple fact of, like, taxes. You know, usually what happens is... Um, well, this is this is what happens. So, so you you're making yeah. a good point about when the taxes. I, yeah, I grew up. I in pay higher taxes, and therefore our education should be better. And so, therefore, I want and nothing that's going to. There are more resources and more things that come in. Right, and I, I don't want anyone coming into my neighborhood that's going to take down my the value of my home. Right, and then that's going to yeah. But there was wow. this young lady who was African American who tried to put her son in a much better school system sure. and got arrested for five years because she did that. Well, it, it, it's funny. I mean, that's, 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 that's unacceptable. It, that's, that's horrible. It's because if you're fraud. trying to do something better for your for your, the next generation to excel, why are you trying to punish the person who's trying to help their child 
become have an equal standing with other cultures. So let me move the conversation a little bit. Since we're talking about, uh, since we're talking about, and I'm assuming that you're referring to a person of color exactly. that wanted to get their child into a school that was, uh, well, assuming it was a white neighborhood? It was a white neighborhood. It was an affluent school, and she kind of went and said that she lived in a certain neighborhood. She, was trying, to she was trying to prove residency. Exactly. Okay. And so they arrested her for that. Well, well, if it was another person, I don't think of another race, I don't think that she would get that, that type of I'll let you add a quick point. Point, then I want to and go to New York, and that's privilege. Well, okay. Here's the thing: New York City public schools are the most segregated segregated schools in the entire country. Segregated. That's one. Two. Um, Mayor De Blasio, he's trying to put in this initiative to make it so that um, certain the specialized high schools, the top high the schools top. in the cities, not just the charter schools, okay. but the top high schools mm -hmm. in the city, they actually like um, they actually box in maybe 10% of the incoming freshman class to students that are that don't perform as well. We're basically black around students. Let me let, let me let me I let me reclarify that. Let me reclarify that. Bill de Blasio actually wants to take the top seven percent, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. of each high, high school, school and put high. them into yes, high. of each junior, junior high, high and get them into the specialized high, high school. school. So the high school will have the seven percent of each high school around yeah. the city to diversify it. Yes, just just to like add a little bit of color. However, a lot of color. Seven percent enough. It is enough when is you consider enough. when the schools are 90, right. 85 to 90 percent Asian and white. However, it is getting pushed back, not necessarily from the white community, but from the Asian community who say that if these seats are opened up across the city to everybody, their their children will be considered at a disadvantage. I'm going to hop on to what you just said there, and, mm -hmm. I, and I'm going to tell you why. So mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. so for those of you that are listening internationally, Stuyvesant High School is considered the, um, the number one high school in uh, New yeah. York City and, and probably yeah. in the state. Uh, in essence, this school, if I'm not mistaken, is over 70% Asian American. A lot of those people come from China. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they have a strong Indian population, but when no, I refer... They, they are starting to. Okay, so China and India, which, you know, Maybe. here in the United States, these are two economies that we talk about. And what they consider the model minority. Okay, so I'm, and I'm going to tie, and then I'm going to rotate the conversation over to Kirk in a minute. So um, I personally, having grown up in Boston, have had a different education yeah. than the New York student. Mm -hmm. um, my middle school was so I was a product of busing in elementary school. My middle school was actually a magnet school, which means that we had students from all around the city. So we had a very diverse middle school. Notice I didn't say junior high. There's a class difference there. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly I got into a program that got me as a person of color into a white high school. They paid the tuition, they paid for the bus that took me an hour and a half away from my home, and I was in a, a specialized high school. It was a public school for that town. That town um, had a high school that was one of the top performing academic high schools in the state. So my middle school was sort of like everyone else's high school, and my high school was like a college. Yet I didn't go to college, I found I had to drop out of high school because of personal reasons that were related to economics. I want to uh, move the conversation over to Kirk Adair because recently we have the whole scandal with uh, Felicity Huffman, okay. if I don't have the name mistaken, mm -hmm. and we also have, um, is that Ms. Ms. Becky? Aunt Becky. Aunt Becky. Okay, I don't know. Lori okay, you guys know better than I do. We now, we now, we now have people of quote unquote privilege who are paying to have their children bypass certain uh, SATs and bypass certain um, requirements. Re that you need. 
admissions requirements. Admissions requirements in order to get into the UCLA's and the Stanford's. Uh, and I believe MIT was affiliated with one. Okay. Kirk, as a person who um, is a professor and a historian, what is your thought process on this whole maneuvering of the uh, of the upper class here in America, of the of the finance class, the the privilege as we will call them? Well, I think it's appalling and scandalous. Well, I mean, I, it, totally appalling and scandalous. It's like um, it 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 means it, it's. Rather like uh, Ralph Lauren clothing, in some ways, it's a label without the quality that goes with it. And it used to be quality. Well, one branch of, of uh, Ralph Lauren used to be uh, quality. Um, <clears throat> that's not to say that uh, that particular brand, that the, the, the stuff that was cut by his English tailor and done by his English tailor was quite nice. Everything else he bought generally fell apart. Uh, depending on where it was made. Interesting. But they, with that said, it's they're seeking a label without the work that is necessary, or the, the, they're seeking to continue their privilege without putting in the work of leadership that's necessary in order to get there. Um, because uh, these, Stanford, Yale, Harvard, uh, these schools at privilege. one time... Well, they are privileged, yes, yes, and they do run the country, yes. uh, particularly Yale. But the situation is that, that you, you should have the qualifications to go there. You should have the genuine education to go there. Um, and that education across the board should be better. And, for instance, the schools in New York that you were just mentioning are purposely being stifled. Um, education is being cut across the country because... The, the people in the top privileged classes are threatened by democracy. They're threatened by the idea that their, their fat backsides that have been paid for so long and they've been sitting there like slugs doing nothing and pushing their children through on the same thing, well, I'll just continue this, you know, the gravy train, um, is the entire problem with the country. And it, and it has been for well over 25, 30 years. Um, and this is, is not an accident. It, it started intentional, with- Intentional, you're saying? It, absolutely intentional. Mm -hmm. It started with, with, uh, with Reagan, first as governor of California, and then they took his lead because they saw what he was mm -hmm. doing. Other conservative conservatives took that- Conserving, uh, I always say. Well, yeah, uh, ossification, you know, um, uh, fossilization of a situation. They took that because they don't want to change. They, they want to continue in their position of privilege, which in fact is power without responsibility. This country has a tremendous problem of power without responsibility. They want the power, they want the advantages, they want the privilege. But they don't want to make they don't want to make this sacrifice. So you're it. making an interesting point, and I'm going to say it sounds like you're referring to the privilege to preserve privilege. I'm going to I'm going to pivot over to Joni Martinez, and um, your your thought on this is what? Give give, give me some feedback here on um, the privilege to preserve preserve privilege, the admission scandal. What what goes through your mind? What goes through your mind is like for somebody like me back. To, 15 years ago who 
actually had to like get like when you're applying for college you have to be in every club you have to keep your SATs up you have to work so hard and because my parents weren't exactly on the wealthier end you know you have to rely on financial aid and all that other stuff and you work I had to work five times as hard just to get into my first year mm. of school Meanwhile, when I hear a case of a person that's already as privileged as, say, Lori Loughlin's daughter, you know, she's already... She's who, who is a YouTube star, mind who you. And in, in, oh, um, or perhaps I'm incorrect. Maybe she's an Instagram influencer. Right. Right. She's already had, she already has the influence and she already has the affluence to and get into where... And opportunity to get into wherever she wants. And all her mom had to do is just shell out quarter of a million dollars to get her in. Meanwhile, my mom had to like tell me every single day, "You gotta get your grades up. You gotta do this. You got." I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Hector I speak quick. I'm gonna add. I think that um, it's appalling that they had to uh, pay their uh, kids way into college. All they had to do was put money into a wing and say, "Well, I'm gonna name this the Lori Lori Laughlin Wing." And uh, by the way, can administration just like you know get my well, kids? Who's the who's the, the, on their own merit. To, who's the rapper that did that? To, he was it was uh, it uh, Doctor Dr. Dre, Dr. Dr. the creator they, of the Beats headphones, the Beats headphones, who's now a billionaire. Yes. He's now a billionaire, but he right. he opened up an entire department for I think it was was it a library or something that no, he donated to? No, it's an entire to? it's an entire academic okay, department, yes. administration courses. Yeah, that that's influence. That's, that's influence. Okay. However, yes. you also have to think that it benefits not only does it benefit his children, but it also right. benefits all the other black and brown kids right. that want to right. go into. Okay, and that's a good that's a good argument you present because he's but he being had the nerve to point fingers at Lori Laughlin and her Felicity Huffman and saying, "Look at you!" But here's you the... should... when he did it, but he did it in a different way. Right, and then the she outcome is know. slightly and different. And the outcome is still the same because his daughter got accepted to the university that he gave money. Too. Well, I don't mind if you give money. I I, I would rather give well, your daughter a scholarship if it's going to benefit other underprivileged or or children that aren't going to have the same opportunity. Yeah, that's well, that's, that's, my... that's why affirmative action was put into place to give people who didn't have the same opportunity to try to have that type of affirmative action. You have mentioned you have mentioned a trigger word so, for those that lean so to the right. That's why okay. affirmative action have been put into place to to give minorities to level African the playing America, field, right? To level the playing field because it was um, a, a Caucasian relief. But okay. we're also there's also like an issue like somebody did somebody had something quite um, clever to say. If you ever noticed like when it was when more black and brown people started to get degrees like especially bachelor's degrees, all of a sudden the value of a bachelor's degree has gone down. Ooh. Yes. Oh, that hurts me. That hurts me yes. in my heart. I know. It hurts. Yes. How do you think I feel? Well, I want I, I, I to I want to uh, piggyback on what you're saying here, because being from Boston, um, one of the things, you know, those of us of African descent, we're used to being um, in less than the I, I believe Massachusetts has less than one uh, percent. Of, of people of African descent living there. And so in the city of Boston, I don't know if it's an odd number, like 4% or something like that. It is understood that in order to achieve power in the US by, by certain classes, one must be educated in Boston and one must make their money in New York and one must then, once they have their money, go to DC for influence. Now, very few people are aware of that. Now, I, I want to tie sense. in with what Kirk said, because Kirk talked about Ralph Lauren. And so, will someone say Ralph Lauren? And so Ralph Lauren sort of represents the epitome of what American wealth and style and influence looks like. 
So in that, um, Kirk, I just want to mention a couple of places just to take the conversation in a different direction. I want to go international. I want to talk about the U.S. I want to talk about Israel. I want to talk about Switzerland. These are places that when we're discussing money, the Bahamas, Tulum in Mexico, uh, the United Arab Emirates, what is, what is, what is, um, Let me rephrase the question again. Um, I want to direct this over to Kirk. Let me rephrase the question again, and I want to direct this over to Kirk. Uh, the thing that's understood in the United States is that New England, if, if one is to uh, get their education, they should get their education in New England, especially Boston. If one is to make money, they make their money in New York. And if one is to have influence, they take their, their, their New England Bostonian education, they take their New York money, and they then go to DC to have influence. I wanted to direct this at Kurt because on the level of the US, when we talk about global money and uh, global privilege, I think of places like Switzerland, I think of Israel, I think of Tulum in Mexico, I think of the United Arab Emirates. What am I missing in this picture? Fill me in. I think of the UK, I think of Hong Kong, I think of maybe Nigeria. In, in what regard? Why? In regards to international, we, we have discussed the fact that finance equals access. I have just mentioned global access global financial centers within the US. One thinks of Switzerland, do we not think of money? Well, the, the Swiss basically are the um, all, well, the Swiss basically, the Swiss franc and this, the edu if you're tying it with education, yes. the, the, the foremost school in Switzerland is La Rose, where the international privileged go um, and the Swiss Finances. The Swiss have been bankers for well over three hundred years. In wow, I didn't know that. They they basically are one of the major areas that control the money market. The international money markets are London. Um, you have to a certain extent Paris, but it's London, uh, Switzerland. Um, it's interesting that you bring up uh, Israel because the Israelis play by their own rules. Um, and there's a lot of intellectual theft um, uh, that the Israelis uh, are engaged in, particularly now with um, uh, both um, military, um, military access, space access, and um, uh, financial access, where their markets, they have their fingers in many markets and they manipulate. Hong Kong was um, a major, uh, hub for Asian markets established by the city of London. Basically, Hong Kong and London were very much tied on both sides of the planet. The situation, though, is the minute the communist Chinese took over Hong Kong, that money market uh, area was not necessarily growing, but holding steady. Interesting. And now the Chinese situation with removing all liberties from Hong Kong 
uh, is causing a financial movement of the market to Tokyo. Um, and now we're referring to Japan. Okay, yeah. Hector is signaling to me that he wants to add something yeah. to this conversation. Yeah. You've mentioned all those countries, and although all those countries do have privilege, if you look at their banking system, if you look at the people who are privileged, they're all white men. There is not a single minority or woman involved in any of this uh, banking. Or so we consider Hong Kong white? Uh, we, even though I, it I was would consider Hong Kong to be run by men. And, oh, true. When there are no women yeah. in power, none of these countries allow any well, actually, minorities. Actually, the mayor of Hong Kong is the, 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 there was, when I was in Hong Kong, there was, there was almost an equal amount, it's very interesting, of men and women in power acknowledged at that point. In Tokyo, it is a definitely a male-run society, although the education level in Japan is very high. The education level in Hong Kong at that point for, there were two levels. You were either rich or poor. Mm -hmm. But if you were in the rich level, the education was outstanding. In Switzerland, the education level across the board is outstanding. Uh, in the UK, there is a socioeconomic disadvantage. So the, the money remains in a privileged class. I'm not sure why you and, brought and, up Tulum. I, I brought up Tulum because that is sort of the, the playground. That's considered the United uh, Arab, I consider the United Arab Emirates to be the Switzerland of the Middle East, and Tulum sounds like the, the United Arab Emirates, with those with money when that's their playground, it's sort of, the economy sort of uh, skyrockets through the roof. Um, I wanna come back to Hector for a second because you started to say that you felt that these economies, when we refer, refer to Israel, uh, excuse me, Israel and Switzerland and London and Hong Kong, and you're saying that you think this is that that is sort of a male-dominated situation. There, continue. Yes, it's very male-dominated, um, especially in Switzerland, where there are no women representing any women up there in the corporate um, hierarchy. I understand. Hierarchy. There mm -hmm. are no no women whatsoever. If you look at them, they're all. Um, Caucasian men running this country, and if a woman tries to at least to uh, assert herself into that position, she is automatically uh, cut down. So I'm going to glass ceiling. Okay, so I'm going to um, I'm going to pivot over to Joni Martinez. Joni Martinez, um, do we have a reason to be angry? Um, of course, we have a reason to be angry because what happens is if the money is concentrated towards one particular group, that group automatically obtains power rendering the rest of rendering everybody else pretty much you know so what's wrong with having what's wrong with having power that's what stimulates our capitalist society power is perfectly fine as long as everybody has a piece of that power and so that you're, power is like checks and balances. so you're, you're yeah, now you're now going from power to empowerment yes okay so you're so, for empowerment as opposed to power right like i'm a big fan of power but you know what good is power if not everyone has access to it or it's gone corrupt okay so that's interesting if or, not everyone says access someone takes that power the, the 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 powerful use that power to kind of oppress everyone else i don't know what scares everyone about uh everyone having access to uh financial justice but it right. seems to create a sort of uh it seems to create this fear in those of privilege that if I lose what I have, then I'll sort of be exposed. Because poverty is expensive. I'm going to let Kirk uh, chime in here. I'm going to give you one minute to give me your thought on that. 
On which? I'm going to give you uh, one minute to give me your thought on access to money and influence. Well, it's very unequal. And if you're talking about money, it's a Babylonian banking system that's been controlled by a very few number of people over a number of centuries, basically since the 18th century. Um, Are you going to say Rothschild? Well, you said it, so I didn't have to say <laughs> it. Hey, he's I'm over here. The, uh, the Rothschild Banking House and the other banking houses that are associated with that and with the Fed. The Fed is not American. The Fed is an international bank. It has nothing to do with the United States, except that it decides what the currency level is here. Um, that's not decided by the American people. Um, so yes, there's a very unequal balance of power and money, and it needs to be addressed. But it needs to be exposed so that it can be addressed. Okay, perfect, perfect. Hector, um, I'm down to about a minute and a half, so I want you to give me your thought on privilege versus why everyone is angry. Do you think that the, the state of privilege now with the, a few select classes gives re people reason, justification to be angry, or should we be taking action as opposed to anger? I'm all for um, empowerment and I'm all for having privilege. I think that it has its place. Privilege has its place if you have money, but you have to divert that idea in, the, in a positive way. Use your privilege to influence. Use your privilege to help people come up. Use your privilege to level the playing field. Don't use your privilege to put your foot down on someone's neck and keep them there. Well, you said the word playing field, and I want to give, uh, Joni, Joni, I'm going to cut your time a little bit short. I can give you about 30, 30 what, seconds. Why? And I know, I know, I'm being misogynistic right now, but yeah. uh, giving you the final word, if uh, with privilege and people being angry, uh, should we, what, what's our responsibility? What is our responsibility as a country? What's our responsibility globally? How do we level the balance of power? If we're such a Christian state, Christians, the, Christ, the whole basis of Christianity is to take care of the weakest and the poor. And by not doing that, by just favoring the rich, you're basically being unchristian. In, in the United States. But what, United if I'm States. In, what if I'm in the Middle East? What if I'm in Israel? Why should I follow Christian a, standards? That's a you're separating the church and state. Yeah. I, I, I want to I'm come back to Joni because I don't have a lot of time left. Okay, so wait, well, like in terms of, well, it should just be across the world then because the idea is like you're supposed to take care of the most meek and economic justice for all. Economic justice for all. Thank you guys for tuning in to Verbal Assault. I want to sign off and I appreciate you tuning in and we are out.